Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you. If, if you haven't had someone say welcome, then let me be the first, but I'm, I'm guessing you have. I want to remind you, before we get started, we are going to be singing. If you would like to come at 2 p.m., I'm going to be singing uh, with hopefully any of you who would like to at the nursing facility. Um, that's always a treat for me, and it's a treat for the residents there. So if you want to come, just be there at 2 o'clock. We'll usually sing for about 25 minutes, and then little a little talk for five minutes and then and then we're done and so uh, I'd encourage you to come if you'd be willing we've been going through our series in Deuteronomy called the covenants of promise and we're going to continue that series but I'm going to uh, tell you a little story do y'all remember when we had the uh, kind of I want to say it was a tornado scare not that long ago here where the sirens in town were going off and we were having Wednesday night class and what's funny is I, you know, I probably should have canceled class that night because if I had, there, that wouldn't have happened. That's how it works, you know. If, if you've got a cold weather day coming and the principal cancels school, there's no snow, you know. But if you do have school, then maybe there is some ice and inclement weather. But anyway, uh, what I remember is that uh, we rushed or hurried to get in the hallway because of the tornado sirens. But not all of us hurried so fast. And it was a pretty good, um, a pretty good social experiment of who in the group are rule followers and who in the group are not rule followers. For those of us who are more rule followers, we're kind of quick to, okay, what do I do? Okay, where do I go? And for those who are not rule followers as much, it was an opportunity to kind of go, okay, let's see, is this really something we need? I'm going to go look outside for a second and see if, and I heard two things that night that make me smile remembering them. These are two things. One of them I've heard one of these individuals say before, and it makes me smile every time. The other one was a first time for me. But one of the individuals said that I, they said, I think rules are a really good thing for other people. Uh, and uh, I love when that person says this. And then the other person there, uh, they said, I follow rules as long as I think the rule makes sense. And I was just curious. Yeah, some of you in here, you're like, preach, preacher. You know, that makes sense. But today we're going to be talking in this intro a little bit about the idea of rules. And sometimes we run into some rules that we see that are very interesting, and we have to assume there must be some backstory to this rule. This is kind of a unique one, so let me give you a few. Up until 1967, in the state of Wisconsin, butter substitutes were completely banned in the state. I feel like if I moved to Wisconsin, that would be something where I'd be like, there's got to be some backstory here. And I didn't do a ton of digging, but I'm guessing because of Wisconsin's dairy, you know, it's like, listen, butter substitutes are the, the devil. They're the enemy. They're going to ruin our culture and keep them out of here. I read, I read someone, I don't know if I buy this, but even to this day, if you want to serve something other than butter substitutes at your restaurant, you have to like get a permit or you have to ask for permission. I don't know if I buy that, but with that rule, there's a, a story behind it. Another example is that in the state of Washington, Washington State, uh, in 1969, a new law was made that harassing and, here we go, harassing an undiscovered subspecies was a felony. This was at the height of the Bigfoot fever and the Sasquatch fever. So they made this law, I guess, you know, with all these people coming. Listen, if you find Bigfoot and if you meet him, it is a felony, punishable by jail time and uh, a fine for harassing an undiscovered subspecies. Or maybe let's look at this from a different way. How many of you went to 
summer camp where there was some kind of, I'm going to say rule, but you might could say a tradition, that the new kids at camp were like, what on earth is this? And it's like, ah, don't worry, there's this story. That one time, little Johnny did this, and it was funny, and now it's a tradition. Or maybe more seriously, think about all the things that you have to learn when you go to Texas A&M as a student. I have never been a student at A&M, but from what I understand, there's all sorts of, oh, well, you can't do that. If you walk under that tree, then this happens. If you, if you go in here, you got to do this. You got, and they're traditions, but really a lot of it comes from, well, there was something that happened one time, and it became a rule. It became a story. It became a tradition. One of the things that I think people struggle with the most when they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to follow Jesus, whether or not they're going to try and follow God, is they ask in their mind or out loud, they ask this question, why does following God feel like there are so many rules? Why does it feel like you know, if you want to be a Christian, you got to just accept these rules. And if you accept these rules, then you get to be a Christian. And by the way, if you didn't grow up in a family that believed in God and Jesus, then a lot of the rules that we say, oh yeah, that's a rule, they would go like, wait, what? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's quite a weird rule. I don't understand that one. I mean, a good example, probably, I grew up my whole life in my parents teaching me about tithing. I've said to you before that whenever I would go to, I remember when I'd go mow for somebody, you know, dad, I made 20 bucks. My dad, like the first thing he'd say would be like, hey, congratulations. Now, how much of that are you going to give to God? And to me, that made sense because that's how I grew up. But for someone who didn't grow up like that, if if they said that they, you know, made a hundred bucks uh, detailing a car, like say Deacon has a friend that's like, yeah, I made a hundred bucks detailing a car, and my response as a Christian was, well, you're going to give ten dollars to God, right? They would be like, what on earth? That's a weird rule. So, if you grew up in a culture and in a church, which, and by the way, this is an example of something that we all probably have experienced to some degree, whether we know it or not, where we, if we've grown up that to be a good follower of Jesus means follow the rules, keep your nose clean, and then you will get to go to heaven someday, then you've probably missed a lot of the point of the Bible and of God's story and God's teachings because today we're going to look at one of the most famous passages that you would consider a bunch of rules. Today we're going to look at, if not the number one, well technically it's written in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, but we're going to look at one of the number one places where we see God say, here are some rules. And if your mindset is, oh great, God gave me some rules, I'm going to keep them, I'm going to be saved, that's one way to look at it. But a better way, and a way that I hope you see throughout this sermon, a better way to look at it is, God is trying to not teach us how to be good rule followers, but he is trying to teach us how to become certain kinds of people in light of the story of who God is. Let me say that again. He's trying to train us to be certain types of people in light of the story of who he is. So just like I said earlier, in Wisconsin and in Washington, these odd rules, all of them were born out of a backstory. And the same thing is true when we read Scripture and when we read God's Word. These rules all are born out of a story. And behind these rules is a story that we know well. And so let's try to look at, as we read, we're going to talk about four things from this passage. Four things, and I want us to constantly be looking back. What are these rules saying about the story, about who God is, and who He made us to be? So if you want to turn in your Bible... To De- Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're not going to read this whole section. I originally was going to, but it just felt like a lot of reading. And so we're going to skip a little bit of this section, but I promise you it would be worthwhile to read this whole thing. 
But Deuteronomy 5, 6-33, starting, starting in verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I know that sounds intense, and I know that it's something we've always got to like go, what is God saying there? Because it might feel contrary to what we hear in Jesus. But don't lose sight of the very next wording. He says, I punish children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your, oh, too fast. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that you may, it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. I believe that in the original Hebrew, this is one word. It's like no kill. No adultery. It's one word. No, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land or really nice new boat. No, I'm just kidding. His male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments that the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire. Moses is taking the story from back when they were at Mount Sinai, you know, at the pre- in the presence of God, and he proclaimed these commandments. And now as they're about to go into the promised land, Moses is reiterating them. He's retelling them. But instead of saying in the present tense, he's saying, remember when that happened. Uh, there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. I think a lot of people debate whether half of them are on one tablet and half on the other, or he wrote it twice, just so you know. In case you've always seen pictures where the first half is on one tablet and the second half is on another, some people think he just wrote it on both tablets all the way and just had two copies. But anyway, that's a good Wednesday night topic, even though that doesn't really make any difference. Okay, I'm going to skip through 23 all the way down to 29 and and start from there. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me, so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land that I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Don't get distracted. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So look at, let's look at four things 
it would be a very worthwhile thing to go through each of these commandments, but that's not what we're going to do today. Um, but today, because we're going through a Deuteronomy series, we're going to look at this kind of with a forest view. And like I said, we're going to try and ask ourselves some big picture questions about this. The first thing that I want to say is that we've got to keep remembering that Deuteronomy over and over, Moses is trying to remind the people, this has got to get passed down to your kids. This has got to get passed down to the next generation. And the part of how he's going to prove that is because he's going to make this very easy for beginners to grasp. You ready for this? Ten commandments, ten fingers. Okay? Sometimes God's real smart, okay, about how to do this stuff. Guess what? If God made us with twelve fingers, I bet you there'd be twelve commandments. How many of you know the famous Church of Christ preacher, Stone Campbell Movement Restoration preacher, Walter Scott? Anybody ever heard of him before? He's very famous because he took something complex and made it really easy for people to remember. He said there are five steps to salvation. You know why he said that? Because we've got five fingers. Hear, repent, believe, confess, and be baptized. If God had made us with seven fingers, I can guarantee you it would have been the seven steps of salvation, okay? Because it's easy for us to remember these things. It's so important to God that you get this stuff because He cares about you and He cares so much about you knowing these things that He wants you to let them saturate into your life, easy mnemonic devices for you to remember these, and that you will pass them on to the next generation. The second thing is so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days. This is the very last line. You also see this in verse in multiple places, but you see it in verse 16 where he says, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. He says this over and over. The reason that you have these, the reason that I'm giving these to you is because I want it to go well with you. I still think about this even today as a preacher, but it it comes to my heart most when I think about my time as a youth minister, talking to teenagers that are in the youth group. And I can't tell you how many times I have sat at a retreat looking teenagers in the eye thinking, I know you think I'm just teaching you these things because it's my job, but I'm teaching you these things because I really, really want you to have a good life. I really, really want you to realize the negative consequences that come when you give your life to these things and make your identity about these things and the really good things that come when you make your life and your identity about these things. And it breaks my heart because I know it's so hard to grasp. But I really want you to know these things because I want you to prosper and prolong your days. God, he didn't, he didn't sit up there and think, you know, I really want to be a buzzkill to my people. So I'm just going to come up with a bunch of rules so that they have a really lame and dreary and stoic life. They don't get to do anything fun. And what would those be? You know what? Okay, I've got ten of them. These would be great to really dampen their joy. That's not how God works. These commands are in place because God longs for all of his people, not just me, but all of us, to live a life that is a good life. These commandments will lead to life, and not following them will lead to negative consequences. Let's take one for example, the Sabbath. A lot of people don't keep the Sabbath because they think, well, that's an Old Testament thing. But Jesus liked the Sabbath. We just have kind of lost sight of it. But how many of you, if you took one full day to just rest in the presence of God, you would think, there's no way I could do that. That would be way too hard for me to carve out the time to do that. 
But there are a select group of people who have decided that they are going to make that a commitment. Christians and, obviously, a lot of Jewish people do that. But some Christians who say, I'm going to keep this. And they would tell you it makes their life better. Does that make sense? This thing that to some of us feels like a rule. Ugh, got to keep this rule. Jesus says, no, the Sabbath wasn't, you weren't created to keep a rule. This rule was created to be good for your life. The Sabbath, man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. God's desire is for humans, for us humans, is that we should flourish as fully as possible. And this happens when we follow the rules for ourselves and for others. And so here's something I want to transition and point out real quick. If God only cared about your flourishing then he wouldn't care about if you did all sorts of bad things to other people. So this coveting example, that last one that talks about do not covet. If God only cared about your flourishing, then he would have no problem with you taking stuff from your neighbors. But that would hurt their flourishing, right? And so part of what we see, which is really cool, and we can talk about it more on Wednesday night class, is the first four commandments are all God-centric. And then there's this great bridge about honoring your parents. And a scholar I read said, it's a great bridge between the second half because the second half, the six through ten, is about caring for your neighbors. You know, maybe like loving God and loving your neighbors is something that's been at the core of Jesus and God's teaching all along. And this fifth one in the middle, honor your parents, is a great bridge where it's your parents are a person you should honor, but also they are the source of your life, just like God is the source of your life, so it's a nice little bridge. Honor God, the source of your life. Honor your parents, who, is, who are your source of life and they're another person. And then the second half being, how do we take care and treat other people? God's desire for us to prosper can never be at the expense of other people prospering. These rules are set in place because in God's care for justice for the people around is because he knows... I don't, I'm not, yes, I want Colton to prosper, but I never want it to be, well, Colton gets to prosper, but nobody else does. And these rules allow all of us to, as he would say, prosper and prolong in their days. Okay, this third one is the most important one. So hopefully you were listening all along, but if you weren't, this is really crucial. Because of who God is and how he made us, this is how we live. The introduction to this passage that we didn't read, but the introduction to this passage, it teaches us that we see a story of who God is and who we are made to be. And in that story, we see how much each of these commandments are not just made-up rules, but are, are in place because of the story and the character of God. So, the opening line is, The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Our God acted graciously for His people, so we will act graciously towards others. Our God keeps his covenants, so we will keep our word. The commandments connected human behavior with behavior and the actions of God. The God of Israel does not resemble an unjust, fickle, cruel God of all these other nations. If God was unjust, fickle, and cruel, like all these other people's gods, then guess what? There's really nothing wrong with being unjust, fickle, and cruel. But rather... He seeks wholeness and happiness for all of his human beings. So now I'm going I'm to say something that I first heard Tim Keller talk about, and I'm going to try and do it half as good as he does. But I'm going to use a story to tell you, uh, and I hope this image makes sense. I have a, a sports friend. Does anybody know what a sports friend is? A sports friend is where you really don't do anything in any way as a friend, except you talk about your favorite sport team together. 
It's like, I have, I have one sports friend where we talk, Catherine's like, do you text him all the time? I'm like, well, I mean, A&M got a four-star safety, you know, so I text him a text. You know, that's, he's my, my friend that I just talk to about what's going on with Texas A&M football. That's it. That's all we talk about. I have a sports friend that I remember, he, one of our favorite teams, signed a player who um, was just not a good person. And one of the main things he was known for was being uh, anti-Semitic. Do you all know what that means? Just anti, you know, like Hitler was anti-Semitic against the Jews, okay? And I remember he got signed by our team, and my friend was really upset. He was like, I'm not going to watch anything the rest of the season. I, I can't watch this. This is disgusting to me. And I, I understood where he was coming from. It was something I wasn't all that excited about. I don't like when my favorite teams take players that I don't really want the best for. And uh, what I remember is thinking, though, my friend is an atheist and an agnostic. And I remember thinking, I was like, how interesting is this? He grew up a Christian, but I thought, you know, you're really upset about this guy being anti-Semitic. But if you don't believe in God, then do you really have any grounds to say that anything is good or bad to do? You know, technically, my ethics of what is right and is wrong is founded on my belief in who God is and what he has established is good and bad. But if you don't have a belief in a God, then who's to say that there are anything, any truth, any rule that you really have to care about, right? Now let me give you another example. I hope this is okay to say. I, I, you know, I'm new here, so I don't really know this person personally. But recently, there was a person in town who got in trouble, an insurance agent that got in trouble for embezzling, like, I think embezzling funds from his clients, right? And I nod your head if I'm right. Someone here in town, right? Okay, people are nodding their head. I don't know this person personally. But I want you to think, how many people in this town got really upset when they heard that one of the insurance agents in town had been taking money from their clients? How many people were upset? Lots of people, right? Why were you upset? Because it's wrong. But if you don't believe in a God who determines what is right and what is wrong, who has these rules, then technically you have nothing to stand on. Does that make sense? Now I can hear you saying, wait a second, Drew, wait. Even if somebody doesn't believe in God, deep down, we have an inherent sense of what is right and wrong. That is one of my favorite proofs of why I believe that there is a God. One of my favorite defenses. If anyone were to say, well, Drew, if you just took the Bible away, don't ever look at the Bible, and you, there was no Bible, what's your defense that there is a God out there? One of my top favorite things is, do you feel like at a very young age, children have a certain concept of, that's not right. That's wrong. That, that's not how it should be. You know why? Because I believe in a designer, a creator, who created us in his image, and at his core, he has a certain sense of, this is right, this is wrong, this is what we should do, and that he instilled it in his human beings, okay? And so, I say all that to say, because of who God is, sorry, because of who God is, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and because of how he made us in his image, this, this is how you live. Does that make sense? These commandments are not things God sat down and said, I just got to think of a few things. These commandments are things that are, this is an, a sign of my character, okay? And I know it may seem really crazy to imagine, but there probably was and is cultures that say, well, you know, murder, who's to say if that's really bad? Like, what if they did something bad to you, you know? You know? But we have a God who says, like, don't murder. Does that make sense? 
because of who God is and what he teaches us and how he made us, this is the outflowing of where these rules come from. Not because God just decided to make up some rules. All right? So let me end on this. Uh, By the way, if any of you are confused about anything I just said, comes to Wednesday night class and let's talk about it. The commandments form character. This is not about keeping rules, everybody. God did not give us the Ten Commandments. God did not give us the Gospels for you to be good at keeping rules. It is about being shaped into the people God made us to be. We don't want to just say, hey, I didn't break any of the rules whenever we get up to heaven. Jesus says it in Matthew 5. Some of you say, hey, I haven't murdered anybody, but have you hated anybody? Some of you say, like, hey, you know, I haven't done anything wrong, whatever. And he says, well, where is your character in that? Yeah, you may not have broken any rules, but has your character been changed? We want to be people where living this life, following these commands, not misusing God's name in vain, isn't just about not saying a cuss word. By the way, that's not really at all what that line is about. It's about not attributing to God something that God doesn't want you to attribute to. You could argue that the Crusades are a great example of do not misuse my name. People going, it's God's will that we go kill all these Muslims in Jerusalem. God would say, that's taking my name in vain. Not whether you say, dag nabbit, you know, with the word God in there, okay? But that's how we translate it because when we're just worried about keeping the rule... That's how you live. But when you're worried about your character being transformed, then it applies to the real heart of it. One way to say this is that committing to these practices, these rules, these habits, will allow the story of our lives to work itself out in a godly direction, to be in step with God's story and God's character. So let me recap these four things, and I'll give you one thing to chew on, and then we'll be done. Recap these four. The four things are... God wants these commands to be learned and passed on. It's very important to him. Not that you know these things, but that you know them and are the type of person who cares about them getting passed on to others and the future generations. Number two, because he longs for you to fear him, or because he wants these to get passed on, because he longs for you to hear, fear him so that it might go well with us and their children forever. His rules are for our good life that he wants for us. Number three, these commands are not arbitrary rules, but are an outflow of the character of God and how he made us to function. If you do not believe in our God, there is very little for you to stand on as far as, well, this is how we're supposed to live. Well, this is what you're supposed to do. But if this is who our God is, this is who he is, therefore this is how I live in light of that. And number four, in this way, When we live these things out, these laws, these commands, our character is formed. So here's the last thing for you to chew on. If the ultimate aim in your life and my life is to have the total, utter freedom to pursue personal happiness, then these rules feel pretty lame. Let me say that again. If your ultimate, total liberty in life is to say, I am going to pursue happiness then all these things kind of feel contrary to that. Well, God, you know, it says don't covet, but my happiness says I want that thing. If that's your ultimate aim in life, then these rules feel lame. But I believe each and every one of us have come to a conclusion that sometimes pursuing our utter happiness is a very low aim in life. But when our ultimate aim in life is a higher commitment to be formed in the character and in action into the type of man or woman God made us to be, then these commandments are a gift. Let me say that again. 
When the ultimate aim of our life is a higher commitment to be formed in character and in action into the type of man or woman God made us to be, then when we read these rules, we don't see them as a burden. We don't see them as annoying. We see them as a gift because we want to be the type of person who these rules are just an outflowing of our character and the type of person that we are. Okay? How many of you know those, that person? How many of you know that person? When you look at them, you just think, man, I wish I was like that. It's not because you think they're the happiest person. It's usually because you think, I really respect the character of that person. And the character doesn't come from just pursuing what you want. The character comes from looking at who God is and who he made us to be and following the gifts he's given us to say, hey, this instruction I've given you, this Torah, the word Torah just means instruction. This instruction, it is a test in some ways. When God gave the manna in the wilderness to sustain them, in a lot of ways he was like, now don't do this and don't do this. It felt like a test. But this testing is ultimately a sustaining gift of will you trust me? Will you be the person who just depends on me? I want to have that kind of character. Okay, thank you all very much for listening. If any of you have any prayer requests or anything that we could talk with you about, if someone listening today heard this and thought, you know what, I want to talk with Drew about what it means to make my life be shaped into Christ-like and I want to begin that process, I'd love to talk with you. Elders will be standing at the doors if you have any prayer requests while we stand and sing this song.